Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be and what will be the sign that all these things are about to happen and to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. For those who weren't here last week, I got up here to preach and one page of my sermon was gone. I found out later who the culprit was. Bill was cleaning up, tidying up a little, put it under here, and I had to wing it for five minutes. But today we have all of it here for our hearing. You heard Miss Allie say that we're looking at the temple destruction, Solomon's temple being destroyed. Now use your imagination, this will take a little bit of a stretch, but if you can imagine a regional national catastrophe that disrupted everything, put everybody in a spin, when folks thought everything was nailed down and all of a sudden everything is coming unraveled and it left people hopeless. If none of that sounds familiar, just use your imagination. Here's their story. Back in the wilderness wanderings, you remember, the Hebrew people followed the Holy Ark of the Covenant, that uh, chest symbol of God's presence, which was carried ahead of the nomad people as they wandered through the wilderness, and they followed the Ark to show the way to the promised land. Then when they settled in the promised land after crossing the Jordan, the ark made its way uh, to several different communities. It moved around for a while. It'd be in this city for a little while. It'd go to that uh, sanctuary for a little while, kind of like a traveling art exhibit. This community could have it a little while. Well, then David captures Jerusalem. And we've got a new king and a new reign, and David decides 
that the, that the symbol of God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant, needs a new home as well. He's going to bring it and establish this new home for the Ark near the palace. David chooses a site for the future temple, Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount. It's the highest point in all of Jerusalem. David meets with the architects, plans, groundbreaking, but the temple was not completed until about 967 B.C. It wasn't completed until 57 years after David first took the throne. The temple was built as the home for the ark, but it also had a place around it, an assembly place for the people of God to come and mill around. So the temple itself wasn't all that huge, but the courtyard with the gathering place and all left plenty of room for folks to mill about. Five altars, holy of holies, bronze bowl, cherubim carvings, it was a beautiful undertaking. But then, 370 years later, the worst of all things. 597 BC, the king of Babylon took over Jerusalem, looted the temple treasures, destroyed the temple all the way into rumble and into ash. And it stayed that way for another 560 years until Herod the Great became king of Israel and construction began and he intended to rebuild this holy center of Hebrew life. But the new temple wasn't going to be modest at all. It was going to be the masterpiece of the ancient world. By the way, if any of you have had construction projects at home and gotten frustrated that the contractors were taking longer than they told you they would take, this rebuild project took 46 years to get done. But wow, the area of the Temple Mount is doubled, surrounded by a retaining wall with gates, the temple is raised, enlarged, finished with white stone. According to the historian Josephus, the white stones measured 37 feet wide by 12 feet high. And they built in all kind of little shop areas, kind of like the battery at Truist Park, right? A gathering place with porticos and merchants and money changers, people selling doves and sheep for sacrifice. There was activity and milling all around. And Herod's temple was the center of Israelite life. It wasn't just the focus of religious life. It was the site of the National Library, the judicial system where the Sanhedrin met to hold court. The new temple complex covered 35 acres, stood 150 feet tall, about 10 stories high, absolutely stunning. And the construction ended in the year 4 A.D. 
which means that during the time of Jesus, it still smelled new. Gleaming, towering, busy, massive, commerce, religion, society, learning, all in one big 35-acre mall. And in our story today, Jesus and the disciples were there in the middle of all that hubbub, the coming and going and selling and trading and all of that. They walk out of the temple, and one of the disciples says to Jesus, Look, teacher, what large stones and what, what large buildings. I mean, would you just look at how impressive this is? Ten stories in the air. Those rocks are the size of a hotel room. Would you just look? Jesus says to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Now think about it. They waited five and a half centuries for the new temple, spent 46 years rebuilding it. They just recently had the grand opening. And Jesus said, the whole thing's coming down. A little while later, Jesus is up on the Mount of Olives. He's sitting with four of the disciples. He's with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They're looking down from the Mount of Olives. They're looking down on the temple and its majesty down below them there. And, And the disciples privately bring up the topic of the earlier discussion. Tell us when will this be? What will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Ah, the signs of the end times. Let me just stop for a minute. This is the part where the people who are fascinated by the apocalypse and rapture and end of times, where those folks just start salivating and stretching chart paper across the Sunday school rooms. Those who just find all kind of happy hunting and the formulas and predictions and apocalyptic speculations as though Jesus had just laid out a puzzle that everybody's supposed to scratch on until they can get it solved. Some of y'all are old enough to remember when uh, folks would come on the AM radio and talk for hours about figuring out the ends of time. Jesus said, many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And they'd go up and plot that. Wasn't there a guy in Waco or something? Jesus said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, and they'd Afghanistan and Vietnam. Jesus said there'll be earthquakes. Okay, I remember earthquakes. They're trying to figure out exactly when all this is happening. This big fascination around the end of times. You know, there's been a whole publishing industry trying to figure out, predict. This isn't the purpose of Jesus. Jesus isn't a fortune teller set up with a table at South Beach. 
Jesus has diagnosed the moral and spiritual health of the people. Jesus isn't setting a date, but declaring the coming conditions of a collapse. Jesus has read the trends and the currents, and he said, all of this is coming down. And they watched from on high, Jesus and his four disciples, as the vendors scurried and sold doves and trinkets and souvenirs in the holy place. Every generation, I suppose, has attached some kind of end of world significance to the current events. World War One. they were scurrying around saying the world is at war, that's the biblical stuff, it's going to all come crashing down. Y2K, remember? Everybody was just all in a fear. When that ball dropped in Times Square, everything was just going to shut down, it was all going to be over. So I don't want you to take my words too far, I'm not plotting dates here. I'm not making any wild wild pronouncements. But the church is in a transition we do not fully understand. And as I said earlier, what do you do when everything you thought was nailed down starts to come unraveled? Global pandemic Men in Christian t-shirts breaking out windows at the U.S. Capitol. Police in riot gear guarding the streets of major cities. We are inarguably in a major cultural shift. And the American church is in a major shift as well. After 30 years of decline in American mainline Christianity, the pandemic has accelerated a departure from the church. Not not 550 years after the destruction of Solomon's temple, but 50 years after the greatest generation came home from World War II and built institutions and constructed sanctuaries and filled church pews. We're in a shift. About every three weeks or so, I go to dinner with two of my friends, both in ministry. Sean King, who is pastor of Johns Creek Baptist Church, we all meet at at near Perimeter Mall. So Sean King drives down from Johns Creek to the Perimeter Mall area, and Greg DeLoach, who's the Dean of the McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University, he drives across from Spaghetti Junction over there. I drive from my place up north a little. We converge for dinner and mutual hand-holding and trying to understand and support each other in this unprecedented church era. And a couple of weeks ago, Dr. King offered this observation. I don't recall if it was his originally or if he was quoting from somebody else, but this is what he said. 
He said the Jesus movement in Palestine started as an experience of the risen Christ. And then it moved to Greece, to Athens, where it became a philosophy. He said then it moved to Rome, where it became a religion. And then it spread throughout Europe, where it became a culture. I'm French, therefore I'm Christian. He said, then it came to the United States and became a business. And when he said that, I had the image of Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, watching all the buying and selling and politics and merchandise, consumerism and money changing. And I just wondered. I don't know. I don't know. Some people are saying that America's soon going to look like Europe. Grand cathedrals and nobody in them. One Christian thought leader said we just entered the Netflix era of church. He said, used to be you had to be at home at 9 o'clock on Thursday night to see your favorite program. Netflix just changed all that. Now you just catch it on your laptop whenever you feel like it. He said, that's the new era we're in. Folks who just kind of catch church when they feel like it. Another friend told me recently that he read that 2022 Will there will be more pastors leave their churches in 2022 than any year in American church history? Church decline, post-pandemic, a lot of the baby boomers are retirement age. Retirement counts have done pretty good. See ya. I want y'all to hear me say this clearly. And I might have to say it twice. I'm not going to buy into the gloom of these predictions. I'm not buying it. And the reason is not because I'm wearing rose-colored glasses, and it's not because I'm clicking together ruby slippers and just hoping. The reason that I have genuine hope is there is a green shoot peeking out of this passage that gives me a whole different expectation. There's a little phrase right at the end that promises something entirely different. So Jesus is looking down from the Mount of Olives, the busy temple hubbub, the buying and selling, And he says, not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. The disciples say, tell us when. And Jesus says, lots of pains coming first. Wars and nations rising against nations and earthquakes and famines. But then here's the line that burst forth with hope. But this is the beginning of the birth pangs. Jesus has declared that this is the pain that precedes the birth of something. Something new is coming. 
I know I have no business talking about the intensity of labor pains, but I have experienced the undiluted joy of what happens on the other side. Birth, new life. Easter is preceded by Friday. Great things are always preceded by hard things. See, Solomon's magnificent temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and the destruction of that beautiful, glorious temple was painful and horrible and unwelcome and destructive, but it was not the end of God's redemptive work. Jesus was anticipating his own role in God's love project. Resurrection marks a new day in God's redemption. This is not the pain that is associated with death. This is the pain that's associated with labor because new life is coming. This is the beginning of birth pangs, Jesus says. Now we've got to be honest about all the cultural pain and the anxiety of empty church pews, but our hand-wringing becomes unfaithful when it becomes despair. Birth pangs. On the other side of hard times is where new life is to be found. You remember World War II, rations and bloodshed and Hitler. And on the other side, men and women came home and bought houses and built churches and pledged devotion and reclaimed. Labor pains giving way to something new and beautiful and alive. The temple lay in ruins. Sadness, hopelessness. And while the people wept, Jesus pointed down to the river Jordan when Jesus came up from baptism and said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God had something new in mind labor pains of destruction giving way to new life. And on a dark Friday, Jesus hung on a cross and his followers watched him take his last breath in agony and it seemed like everything was absolutely hopeless until God raised Jesus up from the dead, new life, for all who believe. I have no idea what God is up to right now. I have no idea how this terrible chapter in American history will be redeemed. I do not know how, but I do know who. Because throughout God's redemptive history, God has been transforming hard times into beauty, labor pains producing bouncing, new, full of joy life. It is the ongoing pattern of God. 
This is but the beginning of birth pangs, said Jesus. New life is on the way for those who believe. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.